Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Waste not, want not. It's an idiom that comes from the year 1537. They said it a lot better then, but the principle's the same. A penny saved is a penny earned. This sounds like my mom sitting at the supper table, and she would say, eat your peas. They're starving children in Africa that would love to have your food. Little did she know that I would spend 10 years of my life working on behalf of those food-insecure children in Africa. Waste not, want not. Some years ago here in Michigan, there was a news article about how much asparagus we were leaving in the field. Someone estimated that it was $1 million. And I wondered then, as I do now, were we just estimating or were we truly measuring the value and the amount of that asparagus that was left in the field? Dr. Lisa Johnson, a researcher from North Carolina State University, is here with us in our WJR studio, and she is our waste not, want not authority. She's here in Michigan measuring how much food is left in the fields across our state and how we can get that food and put it into our network and help us create food security across Michigan. Come back and be with Jerry, myself, and Dr. Lisa Johnson here on Food for Thought. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. It's Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with you, and our guest, as promised, Dr. Lisa Johnson from North Carolina State University. Welcome to Michigan. Thank you. It's great to be here. So tell us exactly what you're doing in this great state of Michigan and what we have in common with North Carolina. Well, my job is basically to understand how food loss and waste relates at the agricultural level of the food supply chain. So I study fruit and vegetable crops to try to understand where loss is happening in those systems and in some cases do measurement. Wow. Well, we're pretty excited to have you in Michigan because we think, and I think Feeding America believes completely across the nation, that as food process and the whole chain of of food delivery from farm to fork, that everybody's getting more efficient, which means that there's less food for them to donate. And so we think that the field where food is often or sometimes left, and we know everybody wants it to go and be used 100%, that that is a source for food for our network. In fact, Lisa, we have a program here in Michigan that's funded by the state of Michigan called MASS. It's the Michigan Agricultural Surplus System. And the state gives a grant to the Food Bank Council, and we distribute that across our seven food banks and purchase for them fresh fruits and vegetables grown here in Michigan that get distributed across our network. So we're not paying the top retail price that 
Meyer and Kroger and Walmart and the other stores are paying, but we're trying to buy the farmer's seconds. So that creates a secondary market for them. We've gotten pretty good at it because uh, Feeding America came to us and asked if we would begin to resource the rest of the Feeding America network uh, with some of the Michigan fruits and vegetables in seconds, and we created 23 secondary markets for them. But we still feel like there's a lot of food not coming to us that could. And you're here to help measure some of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. What I'm finding is that there are great divides, though, between what is left in the field after something like mechanical harvesting versus a hand-harvested crop. Mm -hmm. So in North Carolina, most of our crops are hand-harvested. We have a huge labor force there, um, and that's that's the system we're working to grow our vegetables. Here in Michigan, what I'm finding is that a lot more vegetables are machine-harvested, at least on the, on the larger-scale farms. Mm -hmm. And so there may not be as much left to be gathered in those kind of systems. But smaller farms that are more diverse and have more hand labor would still have uh, quite a bit left in the field. Wow. It's interesting too, isn't it, Jerry, that uh, Lisa and I were talking off air that we're kind of at a low point as far as food in our supply chain than, than what we've been in, it, certainly since I've been involved with the Food Bank Council. Yeah, it's several million pounds uh, less food receipts for us this year than last year. Um, lots of reasons for that, but um, but I find this whole issue and measuring, you know, we talk about data a lot on the show because you can't fix a system if you don't know what's in it. Right. So so just knowing what's in the system so you understand what the opportunity is, is important. But there's another important aspect to me, and that's the policy implications of what happens when X. Right. So I'll give you an example. Right now, transportation costs are really high and they're going up and it's hard to get uh, a way to move food from place to place. So what if we could answer the question when transportation goes up? costs go up, that is, how much more food is left in the field because nobody has the money to ship it? You know, it's when, but you can't get the answers to questions like that if you're not measuring, right? If you don't know the baseline of, well, you know what, here are the real levers that change that. Because if we don't know when opportunities might happen, how do we take advantage of them? So I just want to say I really appreciate the work you're doing. I think as we look at creating the right safety net and making sure that we're using all the levers that we can use to capture the food that's available, understanding what the barriers are in place, or on the, on the opposite side, when transportation costs go down, does that mean there's less food available in that pipeline? I mean, those kinds of things really help us be more effective in capturing what we can. The economic impact of food waste. And I know that, that we've talked about that a lot. And I'd be really interested if you intersect with that at all in terms of when there's food left in the field, well, what is the economic and environmental impact of that? And I think those things, again, help us create good policies to address the surplus. Well, I think you just outlined the rest of the show for us, <laughs> which is, all, is okay, because that's why, you're, that's why you're sitting in that chair. She's Lisa, uh, Dr. Lisa Johnson. She is uh, from North Carolina State University. She's a senior research, and she's here in Michigan helping us understand about more about food waste from the field. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. He's Jerry Brisson. This is Food for Thought. We'll be back in just a moment.
It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Welcome back, everyone. We're here in the WJR studio, Dr. Phil Knight with Jerry Brisson and Dr. Lisa Johnson, all the way from North Carolina here with us. Are you a native of North Carolina? Not exactly, but I, I can say I'm a native southeastern person. Right. Okay, me too. I'm from L.A. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she knows that. She gets that. Lower Alabama. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, so, um, Jerry, you kind of outlined the show there. Uh, give Lisa, a, a, tee it up for her. So, I think understanding the why, from a systems perspective, it's important to do this work of measuring what's in the field. Why don't you take that idea and help us understand what you find exciting about it. Sure. Well, measurement in the field is really straightforward and uh, really sort of simple, um, especially if you're a horticulturist or even in any sort of um, life science. It's very easy to measure. Um, But the reason that I do it is two reasons, really. The first reason is that we don't have good numbers on a national level on what is lost in the field in agriculture. The closest uh, number that we have is an estimate from the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, and they estimate about 20% of what gets into the supply is left uh, at the farm and doesn't reach the food supply. So you could take that to mean 10% is left in the field and 10% is left in the packing house, for example. Um, in North Carolina, the numbers that I'm seeing are really double that in uh, just in the field. And so it's surprising to me, but that's one of the points of measurement is those numbers have not been updated since the 60s. And really what has changed in specialty crop production since the 60s, only the cultivars we use, Mm -hmm. the fertility blends that we have, our pest management and disease management strategies, irrigation technology, and even some of the appearance quality standards that we have for produce have changed since then. So it's really time to update those numbers. Um, So that 20% I feel is, is low and inaccurate. And it gets quoted a lot and gets pushed forward a lot in literature because we really don't have um, more numbers than that. The second reason I like to measure is to show growers the opportunity that they have to increase their yield. And of course, you know, what they are going to do with that yield is up to them. Um, whether they want to, say, donate it to a food banking system. or That's a great idea. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. Or if they wanted to use it to increase their profit in some way. That would be up to them. But when you measure, it really creates a baseline for them to understand this is what you have in the field on a given year over these conditions. And so that really allows them to see, okay, well, in 2018, we had losses that looked like this. What's happening now is growers are having to make that decision to walk away from a crop in the field for a variety of reasons, typically external factors like market conditions or quality conditions related to weather. Um, And they're really not taking a measurement. They're more estimating what's left in the field. And so when when I can do a measurement and show a grower, it's more than you thought it was, that really gives them an impetus to uh, maybe do something more with it. So, uh, like I said, it's really straightforward to measure, um, and I have put together a protocol for how to do it. It's on the North Carolina Extension 
publication website, and there are a couple of videos that show measurement in the field. It's really just like measuring harvest potential, um, but you're doing it at the end of the season. So you get out there and go, okay, what's the average corn density per acre? And I'm just going to start counting these ears of corn and weighing a few of them. And at the end of that, I'm going to know this is your corn density per acre. Yeah, this is what's left. Yeah. And then and then from that, the farmer can say, okay, I can afford, if I can get this much per acre, I can afford to harvest it and do something with it. And if I don't, then I can't. Well, absolutely. If you know what's left in the field, you can, if you have relationships with buyers, then pick up the phone and say, I have X amount. What will you give me for it? Uh, And if that price is high enough, then they could either go out and harvest it again or um, it, what we do in North Carolina is put the crew out in the field. So it, it has to be a certain price. So my imagination is you've got some overalls and some mucklucks, and are you actually physically out there, or do you fly planes over this and take pictures and count it in an office somewhere? I spend most of my time harvesting vegetables. Yeah. So about two years ago, I mentioned this in the monologue, um, there was a news article that said... Um, we left about a million dollars of asparagus in the field. And I don't know how many people sent me that article, right? Because they were like, this is shameful. This is waste. This could, you know, you guys could use this. So we had a couple of reactions to that. One reaction was, how do we know that it's a million dollars worth of asparagus? And how much asparagus is a million dollars, right? And we didn't, and is there somebody actually measuring this or are we just guesstimating and so we had, a, we had a lot of conversations about that. We went as far as to have conversations with the asparagus, you know, association to say, how much is your labor cost for three days or whatever? We'll pay your labor cost so to go out and get that food if you'll donate it to the Food Bank Council. So it led, this type of conversation led to lots of opportunities, but I'm thinking that's asparagus, and I love asparagus, but this is really unlimited. When you, th- when you think about what you're measuring and the potential that would be not only for the growers and, and for the market, but also for us, Jerry, for the Food Bank Council and our network of food banks here in Michigan. So I'm pretty excited about what you're doing. I think it's going to lead to great opportunities for everybody concerned. So... What's next? Uh, Well, I have a great team at North Carolina State University uh, that includes an economist, Rebecca Dunning, and she has put together an initiative called Whole Crop Harvest. And so what she is working on is more of supply chain mapping and trying to understand how those decisions are made to cut the harvest off. Uh, So growers have a lot of tools in order to manage and maintain a crop that's in the field. They can understand how many degree days it takes between bloom and harvest. Uh, There are lots of weather-related tools, and there are even um, sales-related tools that help you to understand when something comes in the packing house, how it's going to pack out. What there aren't tools to help with is when when do you cut it off? Mm-hmm. Many horticultural crops are continuously producing, so they have to be harvested repeatedly. And there comes a point usually in the harvest when the price gets to be low. 
Mm-hmm. And the season has kind of wound down for that crop. And so then the grower will have to make the decision to stop harvesting. Uh, but that it's a difficult decision for growers. And when they look back on the field, sometimes they do think that they could have harvested more. So that's opportunities for us. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, you know, as it, when we think about the shortage that we have in f- food right now in our network, and you think about there's potential laying here in the field, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bridge that we have to build in order to help us achieve our mission. Well, I certainly think that if the estimate from the 1960s was 20% of the harvest is left, um, broken up into two tens in the field and in the packing house, it's certainly cheaper to get it from the packing house. I mean, that half should be the easy half for sure because it's already harvested in somewhere. So that's a whole lot of the problem already taken care of and paid for if you think about it that way. So I think that's interesting. If your actual count show that that's double, that's an unthinkable number. I mean, 40% of the entire harvest, I mean, we are talking about many, many, many millions of tons. I mean, that's that's a big, big number. So, I, and I know there's also world population and some other things that, that make it really important to know what we're growing. The, uh, the United States is a huge food exporter. And so this, this will affect us certainly as we think about opportunities for the food banking network. But I certainly think it has even much broader implications in terms of just looking at the whole issue of how do we feed the world. I agree with you. So Jerry Bisson, Dr. Lisa Johnson, our senior research from North Carolina State University. I'm going to make sure I get North Carolina State in there, not just North Carolina. So North Carolina State University, my parents are actually from North Carolina and and uh, their favorite school was North Carolina State University. So we have that in common again. We're going to come back and talk with Lisa Moore. She is our waste not, won't not expert. And she's here working with us in Michigan. You come back and be with us in just a few moments. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Thanks for listening, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson and our guest, Dr. Lisa Johnson, senior research scholar, I should say, at from North Carolina State University. And Lisa, you're here helping us understand what waste is in the field. And um, talking just a bit off air there, um, it's not all kumbaya flowers and roses here, is it? I mean, there's some there's some different perspectives about how waste should be handled and what the potential is. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. You know, this is a difficult issue, especially for growers. Um, they don't really see the what's left at the farm as waste. You know, they would l- really like to, s- to sell everything that they grow. And so they see that as something that was unmarketable or was inefficiently produced or had a quality issue, not as waste. Mm-hmm. And as farms really scale up, their products have to meet standards for appearance quality. And so they really become more like products than food. So 
they can be thought of in that way. Mm -hmm. The grower can think of them in that way. So sometimes the nutritional value of those products is overlooked in favor of the economic value of the crop that's been produced. So something that was left in the field because it's not marketable doesn't have economic value for the grower. Um, And so they might not see that as waste as you and I might see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so even just the language that we use in research is very important um, to note in, in this subject. Right. But the perspective that growers have on solving this problem and reducing food loss and waste, in particular in agricultural operations, is very different than what's being promoted now as a solution for reducing food loss and waste. The most research and um, programs that we have in solving food loss and waste are at the consumer level, restaurant level, um, um, retail, wholesale distribution, those levels. And in those areas, there's lots of tools available to help measure and cut down and track food, food waste. Um, so though that data is really informing the development of solutions, mm-hmm. well, the solutions that are being promoted very much include facilitating more donation and um, really making donation easier through software, through technology, through infrastructure. Um, through legislation. Through legislation, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, growers have a different sort of view on donation, and so many of the growers that I've talked to donate, and some do not. Um, basically, it's it's a challenge for them, and so they find the logistical part challenging mm-hmm. in that there may not be always someone to come and pick up when the, when the product is there that needs to be moved, um, or they may have to track down someone to donate it to. Growers have told me they have to stay on the phone as if they're selling the product right. with the food bank. And so that's problematic for them. There again, the tax benefits vary state to state. And so some growers are not taking advantage of the benefits they have. So it's not always smooth sailing for, uh, for growers and donation. They find it difficult. Wow. Jerry? Sounds like opportunity. Yeah. I mean, you know, challenge and opportunity are the, you know, different sides of the same coin, right? So I think I think that's excellent information. And I, I also think that perspective is important. And that goes right, by the way, all the way to the people who receive the food that we give them. You know, the words you use when you talk about food and, um, and in, in this case, waste. Um, waste has a negative connotation. It means you didn't do everything perfect, so you had something go wrong, right? I mean, when you say waste, it means imperfection. It, it has a very negative spin. So if you're the grower and you're saying, no, it's not waste. We planned this. We planned it well. We marketed what we could. And what we couldn't market is now fertilizing the field for the next crop. And there is no waste, right? We are really smart people doing the right things. Well, okay, let's celebrate that, right? And I think if we want to enter that market, even as a charity, we have to understand from a different perspective and from an economic perspective, how to not insult the farmer when you want something from him. Well, I mean, you know, that it sort of makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's tough to raise money from a guy you just 
you know, called a bad name, right? I mean, <laughs> right, right. So even that, I think, information is helpful, and I think it informs us. Now, on the logistics side, um, I know from the food bank side of this, there's logistics going both ways. And so communication is critical. The, uh, you know, so crops aren't harvested instantaneously, right? It happens over a period of time. So what happens in the field, depending on how much time has passed, is by the time the donation is made efficiently, based on a truck, for example, getting a full truckload, sometimes a third of that truck can already be spoiled, right? Because of heat and other problems. And so the farmer looks at that and goes, why am I bothering? A third of this is going to waste, but they don't want to pick up unless I have a full truckload. So there are solutions. I think that uh, certainly Gleaners and the other Michigan food banks have worked with specific farmers on those solutions uh, because uh, especially the highly perishable things, um, you can't wait for a full truckload. So the economics of the logistics can be tweaked. You can have refrigerated trucks out there. Again, it adds a little bit to the cost, but maybe the cost benefit pays for itself when you look at how much you can save because you were able to do that. And there's other things too that, again, once you break the problem down into its chunks, you can start to solve for what's actually happening. And I think there's opportunity there. Yeah. In in North Carolina, one of the projects that our Whole Crop Harvest Initiative has started just very recently is to create a short video for growers that shows them the available infrastructure in our food bank system showing the refrigerated trucks, how easy it is to donate, the facility that they have to handle the produce at the proper temperature, um, and discussing the tax benefits available. We had spoken to a grower that was unsure about how his produce was going to be handled and had not had success with the tax benefit. And we thought these things are available Mm -hmm. to this grower and his products are really needed. Um, So we thought a short video would be a good way just to get that message out there. So what's next in here in Michigan? You've been on the west side of the state. Now you, you came all the way to Detroit to do the show with us and we certainly appreciate your time and effort and expertise for sure. What's next? Well, in Michigan, I am working with blueberry growers, and so I'm looking at what is left in the field um, and, in some cases, in the packing house after the blueberry harvest. And blueberries are another horticultural crop that are harvested several times. Hmm. Um, Here in Michigan, they are harvested in large part by machine, which is um, different than what we do in North Carolina. Um, But I'm finding that there's very little left in the field, which is a great story to tell. And there's very little left in packing, which is a great story to tell um, because there are a lot of processing uses for those crops. So I am working with growers here to take some measurement and find that out. And I understand you drove a blueberry picker. I did. I was able to drive a blueberry harvester a couple of days ago, and it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, yeah, I'm still smiling. So we're, well, we're known for our hospitality in Michigan as well. So glad you got that experience, Lisa Johnson. Um, I'm going to give you the last word in this segment. What What do you see for the future of this work? Well, 
Uh, this is not a new issue, food loss and waste. Um, it's been studied for a long, long time, especially in something called post-harvest horticulture. Uh, it's been studied for about 100 years. So we have been working on this problem for a long, long time. It's always been there. Um, but, and if you look at the whole supply chain, losses have really dropped down in the center in distribution mm-hmm. and packing. And there's a huge spike in food loss and waste at the consumer level. Um, but the main thing I want people to know is that we don't know how big the spike is in the agricultural level. Right. That And farms really offer a great opportunity to tackle the social aspect of this issue. Um, it's not really going to solve the environmental issues surrounding food loss and waste, maybe not the economic issues surrounding food loss and waste, but certainly the farm level offers a lot of opportunity to solve the social aspect of food loss and waste. Excellent point. Excellent point. Jerry? Great talking with you. Really appreciate it. I mean, when we when we imagine the show and uh, and the guests we would have on, this is exactly what we want people to know about. I mean, there are opportunities. And as we find these opportunities and then rise to the challenge of solving these issues, um, we can create a, a safety net that, that really ends up with food security for everyone. And we really believe it is solvable. I mean, the numbers, the numbers, 40% of the entire crop. You don't think I'm thinking about that? I'm thinking about that. (laughs) She's thinking about that. (laughs) Thanks, Lisa, for giving him something else to think about. (laughs) Thank you. It's great to have you. Dr. Lisa Johnson is a senior research scholar at North Carolina State University, and she's here in Michigan helping us understand about crop uh, loss and waste and uh, helping us understand it so we can uh, use this information to help create food security across all of Michigan. Thanks for uh, being with us. Uh, Jerry and I will be right back in just a moment to recap the show. You come back and be with us. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Food for Thought here. Jerry Brisson, that was Dr. Lisa Johnson. And um, she's doing exactly what we need done. Yeah. I wonder how many people know that there's actual researchers out there counting crops in the field. Yeah, Yeah, like people do jobs you never think about. I mean, that's (laughs) one of my reactions to this whole thing is, oh, yeah, somebody has to do it, right? Right. And the fact that that they've been measuring this for 100 years, that was really interesting to me. Like, okay, it makes sense. I mean, we say food first, right? Yeah. Well, it's important enough that we've been measuring some of this for 100 years. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense in a lot of ways that somebody would have to do that. But certainly, if you don't think about it, it's like, oh yeah, you know. So that was that was fun for me, just to just to think about that for a minute. But I really do see a lot of opportunity here, right? And I think as we make legislation um, and talk to talk to lawmakers about how to make the safety net affordable, right? The closer you are to the farm, the more affordable the safety net is, mm. and that's just. Logical, That's a great right? point. Yeah. So, so when we think about how do you afford the right safety net, and we know the safety net isn't as big as it needs to be to create a food secure uh, community for everyone. So, so using our resources in the best possible way is a hugely important part of the solution because if you're doing the most expensive thing, 
sure. you can do less of it. Right. But if you're doing... For fewer people. Exactly right. But if you're doing the least expensive thing, you can do more of it. For, for more the, people. That's exactly. And so, I mean, I know that's pretty obvious, but this kind of information is well, what... Well, it is obvious, but that doesn't mean it's it's utilized. Right, right. <laughs> and I think that's right. what you're talking about. And I think the point you make that the closer you are to the farm, the the more reasonable the the expense is in solving the problem or create in our world creating the right size safety net. And I think for her to point out, you know what, for the grower, there is an economic reality here that we have got to be able to talk about if we want to really capture this food in the system. So okay. That's all right. We can't take away a farmer's cost to harvest it and just to expect them to donate it when the tax benefit isn't, you know, 20 percent of the of the cost of, of, of harvesting. Right. Or of, of the entire process. Exactly right. Then, I mean, we have some things to think about there in terms of how do you address that small but significant economic reality? So, you know, it's kind of like, not that the issue's been hijacked, but the terminology, the vocabulary used, that's the term food waste. Right. If I'm the farmer, I'm... I'm probably offended at that. Right. Well, that came out in the conversation. I thought it was really interesting. You know, so that, you know, no, I'm I'm not I'm not wasting. And here's why. And right. and you go, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, for me, I think we need a new word. We need a new term here." Yeah. Yeah. And uh you talk about food loss. Well, we could talk about food loss in terms that it's not being consumed by people who need it. Right. And that's the social aspect that she talked about right at the end there to say maybe the economic aspect isn't the right focus, but maybe the social aspect. And if we're going to solve for the social problem, there will be a cost. Right. And that's okay. Solving complex problems is hardly ever free. So, but let's figure out what that cost is, what the opportunity is. Let's also figure out how we can understand the annual variability of that. Because if you're going to have a food secure community and the right size safety net and you have variability, well, you have to know how your costs are going to rise and fall and how availability is going to rise and fall based on these factors like the weather, but also the markets. Well, that's true. And we've, we've done that with other specialty crops and Ken Nobis from Michigan Milk Producers talked about that a couple of weeks ago on the show about milk about you know how the how the market can be stabilized so I think we have to what I'm hearing you say there is we have to ensure that legislative policies are all running in the same direction that would promote the donation process in order to help solve the social problem and if we're going to make an investment in the safety net Let's invest in the places where it has the biggest return on that investment. And what bigger return are you going to have than right off the farm? Right. That is going to be your highest potential return on investment. So let's solve these problems so we get that return and make the safety net better. And well, more healthy, if I don't say. And then the people who become food secure, that's the return on investment. That's because right. Because they become productive, contributing members of our communities. I guess it's time for a little food for thought. Dean Kamen said, I do not want to waste any time. And if you're not working on important things, you are wasting time. I thought, that's a great quote. Who's Dean Kamen? 
Dean Kamen is the guy who invented the Segway, the little two-wheel human transport device that you see a lot of times around the city. And I thought, well, that's a great contribution, but I do not want to waste any time. And if you're not in working on important things, you're wasting time. Well, the Segway is not exactly the marvel of the world, you know, so kind of what gives him the right to say this? And so I dug a little deeper. Dean Kamen founded the Advanced Regenerative Manufacturing Institute, ARMI. He raised about $300 million in venture capital, and they're designing and they are producing human organs ready for transplant. About 120,000 people in the United States every year, 20 of them die every day waiting on organ transplants. And Dean Kamen took this on. He's not a doctor. He is an engineer. But he's brought together a team to work on this hugely important, big problem. I do not want to waste any time. And if you're not working on important things, you are wasting time. Jerry, I don't think that we are wasting our time on food for thought. I don't think we're wasting our time trying to change the conversation about food insecurity across Michigan. This is hugely important work. And if we can create win, win, win scenarios from farm to fork, then it'll be a great way to invest our one handful of life. Thanks for listening, everyone. Follow all our shows at Food Secure Michigan. Follow me, Dr. Phil 14, on Twitter. Until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.